Hi there, this is Erin Nicole, and you're listening to the Move Happy Movement Podcast. On this show, I interview people from all over the world. Sometimes I do sermons that the divine whispers to me the topic throughout my day. Sometimes I share music with you. Sometimes it's a combination of things. I don't pre-plan the sermons. It's whatever the Holy Spirit tells me to talk about to help empower you to find happiness from within. This podcast is for people with depression, depressed states, uh, maybe you have a mental diagnosis or an addiction to drugs or alcohol uh, combination, and you are looking for another resource, another tool in your toolbox to plug in to good, wholesome information, real science, real stories, relevant application examples to help you live an outstanding, joyful life that the Father intends for all of us. Um, I'm walking in nature, and the Father whispered to me my topic. So without further ado, the topic is titled, Disc Golf. So no pre-planning. The first thought that came to mind was actually uh, my first year teaching on a contract in the school district I grew up in. This was in 2009 in the fall. And I worked, started this, the school year at one school. It was a small school. So I was a health and fitness teacher at an elementary. And uh, the way they do the specialist jobs is they allocate it from the budget based on the principal has a budget that they work with. And the specialists, PE teachers, music teachers, if there's a computer class, art teachers, um, anyone that's not the classroom teacher is considered a specialist. And based on the number of teachers that are in there, you are providing them their 30-minute plan or their 40-minute, whatever is agreed upon as the uh, lesson length and whatnot to um, have coverage for the children because legally, as a teacher, you um, have to have... The, the children have to have a licensed teacher or principal in the room at all times with them, all eyes on the kids. Um, and so that's like how they how they charge the bill to the state. And if they get free and reduced lunch, then they get federal funding. And so there's a lot of things that go into it. But I was the health and fitness teacher for the whole school, but it was a smaller population in a smaller area. So I was only there two and a half days a week. That was how much money that school had to allocate for a PE teacher. I started late in the year, a little bit late, a few weeks into the school year because they were doing their budgets and they were opening a new school. I had done my student teaching the year prior in the fall and they had a PEP grant and I grew up in the district as well and I was very well connected to the head of all specialists that hired all specialists for every single school in the district um, being a part of the music company in high school because he participated in our fundraiser events um, at the stadiums in Seattle, Washington. Um, uh, he, was, he helped us because he loved music and performing arts and Mr. Krause was our high school choir di- director from 2000 and one to 2004 when I was a part of the music company in high school. So uh, it helped that I had that relationship within the district level of who was hiring and whatnot. 
and my first year uh, teaching at that district was started at that elementary and I'm blanking on the name but towards the end of the year I had added they asked me to cover half a day once a week at another school that was way out in Graham Washington it was it didn't make any financial sense to me and I was treated terribly at that school but this school was fun my friend's dad actually was one of the sixth grade teachers there Mr. Strickards he created his own game for his students he was teaching for 30 years or so at that point he finally retired a few years ago but he was really good with the with the class and it was nice to have a friendly face in a new school so I could reach out for advice and whatnot I was in choir with his daughter in junior high and high school and she was the president of Spinway Lake High School at one point in the uh, student uh, what do you call that student politics or whatnot she was cool. She was, she was smart, athletic, all that. And uh, I knew I knew that uh, getting to know her dad a little bit better uh, on a professional standpoint would be cool uh, because of the uh, relationship I had with his daughter and whatnot. So that was cool. And disc golf, the uh, first, I think it was the first grade teacher, is a, a gentleman. I can't remember his name, but I remember he had a little goatee going on and he had a, a Volkswagen bug that he drove to work. I want to say it was a red one. And it was almost the same year make and model um, that my my dad's oldest brother, my Uncle Terry had. Uh, my Uncle Terry had a white one. I think he had a red one if I'm remembering correctly. Well, this gentleman uh, we had at the end of the school year a um, uh, a celebration for the kids. It's like a fun thing you do outside. And, you know, usually schools would do like a graduation ceremony for the sixth graders, uh, getting them prepared for junior high. And if it's a middle school, usually it's the fifth graders, whoever's the top grade at the school. And, and uh, they wanted me to organize it and whatnot. And I was, it was my first year, uh, first full year contracted. And uh, I was nervous. I told them, I said, uh, I've never done that before. Uh, I don't feel comfortable being the leader of it. I can help with it, though. <laughs> they wanted me to do something that was not uh, officially in the contract, but it was one of those things to help out, to organize. And they normally, every year, the PE teacher organized it at every school. It was just kind of an unwritten rule. But I wasn't comfortable with organizing it and doing it for the first time. But I said, I can help out, but I don't want to be the leader of it. Because I was nervous. I was like 22, 23, something like that. And so all these teachers heard, because the principal started asking people to help out with it and for someone to take the leadership position and to help me organize it. And so I found out that one of the first grade teachers, he's a professional disc golfer. He had his own set of professional frisbees. If you don't know what disc golf is, it's actually like frisbee golf or whatnot. So there's adaptations that I had learned in my undergrad for the game, but they didn't play that sport in my area growing up. So it was cool because I learned about it in, in college. 
And I went to college five miles away from my house. There are so many different ways to move your body and play physical sports, physical activities and whatnot. And at the top tier level, it's an extremely challenging sport. You have to have accuracy with where you are aiming. The If you're playing disc golf, like uh, competitive style, it's usually done in a wooded area and they have just like with regular golf, right? You have, you have to get your Frisbee into the hole. Now the hole is, um, it's got chains, mesh net usually is like a metal thing. And you have, you have to hit it with an angle of which to, to get the, the Frisbee to land inside it somehow. It's very challenging. So there's, there's modifications to the competitive sport to teach people of all ages what do I want to say uh, modification like making it simpler right you change it in order to get people interested in participating in it kind of like peewee football versus tackle football NFL right there's like different progressive levels for different ages physical abilities and and whatnot and uh, where I'm walking in nature there happens to be an actual setup of disc golf for people that compete and they've got it set up with the flags and everything and it's really neat because as I'm walking around in nature it's as I record this episode it is a Sunday so a lot of people in this area are probably at church or doing their thing so there's not a lot of people that are here but there's a couple right now that are doing their own game right now and I walked around and I seen their duffel bag and they had 12 different frisbees in there there's different frisbees for different weights just like there's different golf clubs for dis, uh, for playing a round of golf you have your wedge you have your driving driver you have your putter right you have your whatever the one is called for the sand part um I would like once my once my money gets fixed, once people start paying me all the money they've stolen from me and I get restitution, I would like to get uh, golf lessons to learn how to play golf. And also, I would like to learn disc golf because I think that they're transferable skills. And I, I, uh, I've had a lot of positive experiences around Frisbees because I had a lot more lessons in my undergrad around frisbees there's another game it's not disc golf but it uses a frisbee it's called ultimate is it ultimate frisbee i think it's called ultimate it's like football but it's with a frisbee and it's very fun very fun because i like for me i define it as fun because and this is actually a very sociological and psychological thing if you're a survivor of abuse in your childhood or at any age uh, maybe you experienced uh, trauma in a relationship, a little bit of domestic violence or whatnot, you might, you might not like physical contact with other people. I don't. If I, if I hug you, if I shake hands with you, um, that means that I trust you. It's, I don't, I don't like physical touch because of, ooh, what I've experienced in my life. And a lot of people are like me that have survived abuse where they were forced to do things and and touch people or be touched by people and you didn't get a choice in it so i like ultimate 
I like sports and physical activities that don't involve me touching other people. I do not participate in invasion games like football, tackle, wrestling, none of those sports. I didn't have any interest in those kinds of activities. And there's actual white paper research in the sociology and psychology of sport and physical activity. I learned about it in my undergrad. That people self-select activities to move their bodies based on their personalities of what they're born with. Their traits and their states. And based on their environmental conditions that they've experienced. I learned about that in Dr. Hacker's sociology and psychology of sport and physical activity class in my undergrad. And it was so fascinating because she explained to us that there is white paper research, there's meta-analysis data, which is usually hundreds of studies or thousands of studies that they compile all of the information into one final research data and then they present the information, the findings from from researching hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people just to look at the trends and then to teach us in society, to educate us on it. And that's how we learn about people's patterns of behavior. And I found it so fascinating in my undergrad that I had self-selected most of the sports and physical activities I had self-selected was based on being a survivor of childhood abuse from three to seven years old. When she started explaining things to us, I applied it to my own personal experiences. She said the best way you're going to learn something, permanent learning, is if you um, take the information and then you give it a physical example in your life, if you can, a personal example in your life. That is what will transform it to be a permanent long-term learning that you actually will be able to change your life for the better. That is what true learning is. So I started applying her lessons and whatnot because... She worked with Olympic athletes, and I got to learn from her. She was my professor. She was one of my favorite professors. She was really difficult to learn from. Most people failed her classes, and I got a B. (laughs) I worked my ass off to study and learn from her because I cared. I cared about my learning, and I had to pay a lot of money. A lot of money I signed loans on. And she was one of two professors that I learned from. Well, I learned from everybody, but I learned how not to teach in most of my classes that I took there at the university because there's a lot of turnover, a lot of people. (laughs) Anyways, anyways, it is what it is. So disc golf. So uh, ultimate is similar to disc golf and football. So it uses the the similarity of disc golf is that it it uses a frisbee. That's probably the only similarity. Ultimate using... They interchange the word disc with frisbee, so now that we're on the same page. When you use a frisbee, in ultimate, you have a team of, I think, maybe five to nine people or whatever. Um, We played this as a pickup game in college, not as a class. This was a fun recreational thing that uh, some of my buddies from the church, the physical building was right behind the school. And I was going to this group called the 1820-somethings group. I think it was on Sunday evenings at Pat and Pat and Janet Allen's house. They would do a spaghetti night, and I started making friends with them. They did a little Bible study, and um, then I started hanging out with those people throughout the week. And they became new friends of mine. 
right? So we played this game ultimate on our college campus in the summers because there wasn't as many um, students there. And we just used this, there's this big grassy patch behind Foss, I think it was Foss dorm. I think they tore that dorm down, but it was like behind there. And there was another building, I forget, it's been so long since I've been on that campus. But anyways, the length of the field was like a football field. So we set up cones as like the uh, end zone. And you had a team, I think we did five on five. So um, one person threw the initial frisbee to the other team as if you're doing like the kickoff, right, to get it started. And they usually threw it like a hammer, like overhead straight instead of from the center out they threw it overhead it's kind of hard to explain it um orally without physically showing you but that's what they did and then the first person that grabbed it it started the game now similar with football you um you have to pass it to your teammates right or throw it right So you're throwing your frisbee, you're passing it to your teammates. If it falls to the ground and your teammate doesn't catch it, then it becomes the other team's frisbee. It's like they intercepted it kind of a thing. I'm terrible with football, so I don't know all the terms, so I'm trying my best to explain it to you. It's like football, but with a frisbee. When they started explaining to us how to play it, and but we weren't allowed to touch our teammates. So it's like football without the tackle part. There's no reason for you to touch the other people. So I loved it because I was like, nobody's going to touch me. This is great. And, um, and I was pretty good with getting accurate with throwing a Frisbee. You have to, you have to th- throw it. You release it. Wherever you release it, that's where it lands. But you have to also understand about POVs, potential operant variables. So wind. Wind is a factor with a Frisbee. Because if it's got more gust of wind, if you got, you know, east wind is coming... Then you have to predict, you have to throw it and aim it with the wind factor as well, which is very similar in golf too. So it requires thinking, using your brain. And uh, we weren't competing with money or food or anything like that or trophies. It was just, we are just playing a game of pickup, just getting up, moving our bodies and spending quality time with our friends. It was something fun. So if you're thinking of trying to think of activities to do that's on a budget with your buddies, um... It is getting colder now, so it's kind of like, you know, if you're living in the United States, a little bit colder depending on what area you live. So it might not be the best activity right now, but when it starts getting warmer again in the springtime and in the summer, you might think of, well, this is a cheap activity. You know, you pay, you know, anywhere from two to maybe 20 bucks for a Frisbee, depending on the quality of it, and get five to 10 friends together, and then boom, you've got a couple hour activity that you could do. Now, they had that as a station for the kids, and he showed them, he was kind of showing off his skills as an adult. It made him feel, my first grade teacher, um, my first year teaching in the elementary school, he loved it because he, it was like he got some nostalgia. He was able to speak about a sport that had brought him a lot of joy, in his college days and then he got to show the kids because I didn't know how to do it I sort of kind of I learned about it but I wasn't very good at it he actually competed so because I was humble in that 
circumstance and didn't say, oh yeah, I'll lead this whole thing, I'll organize this whole thing. I said, I need help. I, I humbled myself and I admitted that I needed help facilitating it, that I was new in my position. Then it allowed for other people to step up and show off their skills. So I would have known that if I would have been too, what's the word? If I would have not asked for help, and if I would have not admitted that I was new in my position, I might not have ever seen this man step up and show off his sports skills and be able to show those to the kids and create a positive experience around a brand new physical activity sport that they could get into later on in life if they so desired. And I saw that they were interested in it. So I was reminded of that my first year teaching high school a few years later in, uh, let's see, I think it was 2014 to 2015. I first started the year off, again, late hire because budgets, they didn't know what they were doing. I was a substitute teacher in the Tacoma School District, and I just happened to be subbing in a special ed class, and I overheard a student complaining that there was too many students in the gym. There was like 90 of them, and there was two teachers. They were trying to deal with 90 Students, it's like a it's like a herd of cattle of cats on roller skates, and you're trying trying to keep them busy, keep them safe, and not cause any injuries. Right? There's too many bodies in a gymnasium. I don't care who you are. There wasn't an assembly. They're trying to do sports and stuff, but they had too many students. So they were in the process of hiring for a teacher, but they didn't have people applying, or I don't know. They had a need. And I believe the father sent me there on purpose. <laughs> to provide for filling the need. So I walked right in after I talked to that student and they explained to me that they were they were looking for a high school teacher to start the year off. I went in and I spoke to the principal. I shook hands with him. I said, hello, Mr. Aketa. Um, I heard from one of the students today. I'm a substitute teacher in your school. It's my first day subbing here. I had a great, great day in the special ed classroom. One of the students was complaining that uh, they're their PE situation uh, could use some help. It looks like you guys are hiring for a, a high school teacher position. He said, yeah, are you certified in health and fitness? I said, yes, I am. I said, I've never taught high school before, but I did do my student teaching experience in a high school, and I've, I, I actually got to teach college-level fitness. They paid my tuition in exchange uh, for getting my master's degree and teaching college-level fitness. I've, I've taught adults. I've taught children, I've taught all age brackets. I'm very confident that I could assist um, in whatever you prefer. And he said, okay, um, go ahead and fill out the application. And what's your name again? And I told him my name. And then I called my uncle. And I said, hey, Uncle Terry, can you do me a favor? Can you do me a solid? And he said, uh, yeah, because my uncle had worked there. He was retired for a few years. He had worked at he worked at Stadium High School in Tacoma School District, the same high school that the uh, movie Ten Things I Hate About You was filmed with Heath Ledger, who sadly passed away, um, and what is her name? Julia Stiles were the main actresses, actors and actresses in it, and he sang to her on the microphone in the big Stadium Bowl in the movie. That was like the well-known scene, right? That's where I got to work, my first and last ever year teaching high school. It was a terrible experience, but. Uh, I made the best of it as best I could with the circumstances. So he called. He put in a favor for me. He said, hey, uh, that's my niece. 
she's good. And they hired me. I think because because he called, but also because they didn't have people that were applying, it was a late year start. I would be starting uh, the contract late, I think it was like mid to late October. In Washington State, they start right around Labor Day. Usually after Labor Day weekend, right around the first week of September is when the school year starts. So it was a month and a half into the school year and they still didn't have a teacher for the students and they often didn't have substitute teachers so the other two teachers had to just do extra work covering just class coverage basically like emergency prevention it wasn't education so they hired me now this was not a full-time FTE because they didn't have the budget for full-time so I worked five days a week half days and I didn't I don't think I started the beginning of the day I want to say I started like an awkward time like 10 a.m to like 2 p.m. So it was like very difficult to get an additional job. So I started coaching after school. Middle school cross country was the first coaching job I got. And then um, in a different school district. And then that season ended and uh, I became a middle school volleyball coach in the school district that I worked in, Tacoma School District. And Uh, That was the same year I had gotten married to my first husband, and I started having a lot of migraines, a lot of abdominal pains. Um, I, in my mind, I thought he was going to be better once we got married and had that title, Uh, but he went back to his old ways. It was what it was. I had to learn through that. Uh, Towards the end of the year, I had decided to do a disc golf modification week class for the high school to teach them a version of disc golf and also to get my students involved in creative expression through the art of designing their own disc golf courses. There is this terminology called Well, there's a couple of terminologies. One, autonomy. Autonomy is similar to freedom. When you teach someone how to be autonomous, you get them interested in desiring to participate in something without trying to manipulate them into it by giving them progressive steps of freedom. For example, free, uh, what what is it called? Uh, open campus versus closed campus for student lunches. An open campus at a high school allows for students that have good grades and have their driver's license to go off campus to go buy a lunch to, to teach them autonomy or like progressive plans of their future freedom, right? Of not being so controlled, right? Parenting is very controlling, but for good reason, right? To protect kids and whatnot. And a part of parenting is teaching them if, you, if they're in the public schools or private schools, you know, they go to school, they have lunch, usually on the campus, and some schools teach autonomy through their school process and their systems, whoever votes in their school board that wants those students to be able to have some freedoms if they behave in a manner that earns them the right. In my high school, we had an open campus. If 
you were a junior, sophomore or junior, you had your driver's license, you had a 3.0 or 3.5 GPA, and you applied for it through the security department. Mr. Wright had to sign off on every person that had the right to leave campus for lunch. If you came back late to your class after lunch, you had a warning, and then a second time you were late, you lost your privilege for six months, I think it was. It's been so long since I thought about that, but that was uh, an example, a real life example of a time. So going back to teaching the high school. So I was teaching this class. I was, I was doing a week long, or it might've been two weeks of disc golf. Now I didn't have the actual nets that they have in the, I don't know, the cage, I think is what they call it. I didn't have one of those and they didn't give me any budget for any equipment to purchase anything. So I had to use my own resources, which is what I had to do my whole career in teaching PE, every single school. Never had a budget anywhere. So I had to be really creative in getting kids interested, kids, young adults interested in physical activity, sport, and moving their bodies without having any money thrown towards me. So I had to be very creative in it. I'm a very creative person and I love the challenge of that. So a part of that is getting, giving them some autonomy, giving them some freedom. Another terminology is called a mastery experience. This is from Alfred Bandura, who is a very famous psychologist in the white paper research. If you're ever depressed, read his book, uh, Self-Efficacy, and it will make you feel better about yourself. He's a really great writer. Uh, he coined this term mastery experience as a part of his social cognitive theory of modeling. That was the theory that I used as the foundation for my master's project. So a mastery experience is your first experience or exposure to something. Maybe it's the first time you play golf. Maybe it's the first time you go to a baseball game, a real, you know, major league baseball game. Your first experience or exposure to something is the strongest predictor of whether or not you will return to that thing again. If you go to your first NFL game and you hate being in the cold and it just happens to be freezing out and it's raining and you get soaked and there's no covered thing, you're probably not going to go to a football game ever again after that if you hate being cold and wet and it just happens to be raining, right? Uh, mastery experiences are very powerful. There's a lot of things that you can't control in the mastery experience situation. Those are called POVs, potential operant variables. You can't control if you're playing on a field and someone else chooses where the, the game is going to be and it's turf versus grass and you hate turf. You, if you can't control it, it's a POV, potential operant variable. What you can control is your own attitude towards it and your response or reaction towards the situation. You can change your outlook as well. You can change your attitude as well. And a part of um, modifying someone's perspective, which is possible to do, it's challenging, uh, but good leaders create positive mastery experiences, the first exposure experience that someone might have towards a sport or physical activity or anything, any new thing. Right? So I'm going to give you some tips if you are 
a PE teacher or aspiring PE teacher, maybe you're a recreational director or you're aspiring rec therapist in a psych hospital or maybe you work with um, elderly people in assisted living and you're responsible for planning the activities for your patients. Maybe you work in the school system and you have been asked to design the curriculum for your students to help with their learning, whatever. I'm gonna give you some tips. If you are listening to this and you have, and you're not driving, sometimes people are driving, so I don't recommend you taking notes while you're driving, but if you are listening, listening to this and you are at the gym lifting weights, maybe between your sets, jot down some notes in your phone or get out a journal and write down physically, you know, with a pen. I'm old school. I like, I like to write in a journal. I find that I remember things better when I physically write in a journal. And a lot of presidents have been known, of the United States, have been known to be journalers. So I'm not saying I'm a president. I'm not, I'm not there. But success leaves clues. So there you go. I'm going to give you some notes. You want to star these. You want to re refer back to this. If you would like to create positive mastery experiences for your population that you service. All right, Father, I thank you and I praise you. You are leading this sermon on disc golf. You are leading this sermon. You are guiding it. So, Father, whatever notes you desire for me to share, tips, strategies to create positive experiences around movement, I know I know that you designed us to be moving creatures. You designed it, and you also designed many of your children to be teachers, and I am one of those. So give me only the golden nuggets and remove any extra fluff that doesn't need to be there. Thank you, Father. Number one exposure for mastery experiences. Extreme exposure, the Father says. What do you mean by that, Father? Extreme exposure. Don't wait, he says. Don't wait. Get them plugged in right away. Uh, the first thing that comes to mind is like when you're teaching a kid how to swim. They could dip their toes in. They could sit with their, you know, their, their bottom on the edge of the pool with their, their feet up to their knees in the water. Or you could have them just jump in and you catch them. Exposure, extreme exposure, have them jump in. Don't make them wait. That is an option to create a positive experience. You challenge them to get over their fears immediately while, while they're afraid. Do it anyway. Do it while you're afraid. But you also give them the cushion and you provide a, a, you provide a space of trust for them. Uh, where, where you can fuck up real bad, pardon my French, is if you tell them to jump and you don't provide them like any floaties or any life vests or anything like that. And then you, morning, and then you uh, let them fall in the water and their head goes underwater and you don't catch them. You are responsible for the people you are in charge of. Take responsibility for your people. Whether you're responsible for one or a billion. Give your best 
no matter how tired you are. If you are a leader, you are responsible for people, make sure you catch your people. If you encourage them to jump, you make sure you're there to catch them. Okay? Extreme exposure. How can that help create a more positive mastery experience? Well, I remember the first time I jumped off the cliff into this body of water. Everyone was like, jump, jump, jump. We were camping, my whole family. And my dad had jumped first to show us that it was safe because we seen another family that were camping that we made friends with. And they, they were swimming around the water and they swam all the way down under the water and they said, it's really deep here, it's safe to jump. This was a very high cliff for me. It was probably 20 feet in the air, maybe 25. I was maybe, how old was I, father? Nine years old. They were like, jump, jump, jump. I was afraid. It took me probably five to ten minutes. I watched my, my dad jump. I watched my oldest brother jump. And then I watched my middle brother jump. And then they, they gave me distance so that I wouldn't, you know, jump on their heads and kill them. instantly. <laughs> and I finally did it. I was, I was afraid. But I did it anyway. And then... What did our dad do? He rewarded us. You want to do immediate reward. If you do an extreme exposure, immediate reward. Whether it's an attaboy, good job, encouragement, verbal praise, or, um, you know, some sort of prize or whatnot. He took us out for ice cream afterwards. There was a little gift shop, little mom and pop gas station or whatever. And he wanted to reward me for taking a risk because I was such an introverted, quiet, antisocial child because of the abuse that I had. He did, my dad didn't know why I wasn't talking as a little girl. I was a mute kid at three years old, which was not normal for little girls. They knew that I wasn't normal, and they were trying their best. Whew, they were trying their best to get me out of my shell. Extreme exposure do it fast, reward immediately afterwards. What kinds of rewards are the most effective? Well, I actually learned about this in either motor learning or the sociology, psychology, sport of physical activity class. Both of the classes were taught by Dr. Hacker. She was so good at everything she taught. She talked very specifically about the kinds of rewards that are most effective. Um, for beginners, praise, praise often, frequent praise or frequent reward is the most effective as as people have started to develop their own behavior change where they're now becoming kind of like it's a lifestyle for them they don't need as much reward but beginners brand new beginners in something brand new mastery experience you want to praise them and praise them often you want to reward them and reward them often what my mentor teacher did when I was student teaching at the elementary, he used Jolly Ranchers. He used candy as a motivator for the kids. Hey, candy, kids love candy. So he would randomly do it with the students that were behaving well in the class and that trained the rest of the class to behave accordingly. Do I think that's effective long-term? I don't particularly think that it's very effective. However, It worked for him. He had been teaching for over 30 years. I wasn't going to disrespect this teacher that made it really fun experience 
for me. And he was heavily loved by all the teachers. The principal had a high level of respect and he let me create my own uh, physical activity competition for the families there when my university told me it would be too much of a liability. <laughs> we did it anyway. So sometimes you got to break the rules a little bit. Bend them, I should say. Bend the rules, not break them. So um, master experiences expose, expose quickly. What else, Father? Okay, he says, you want to be soft in your approach. What do you mean, Father? For those that are sensitive, if they have anxieties, mm, allow them to choose. Yeah, I'm reminded of a student. Well, he was, uh, I will call him a student because this was when I taught swimming. And this was morning. Uh, this was, uh, or I guess it's afternoon. Afternoon. Um, this was one of my patrons, we'll say. He was maybe seven, I want to say six or seven years old. He was a crier. He didn't even want to touch his toes in the water. His parents definitely forced him to be there at the lessons. He might have had some form of Asperger's or some form of autism. He was a screamer. He was very afraid. And I have a strong feeling somebody at home probably used an approach that was a little more controlling than how I would do things if I was his parent. It was what it was. They probably had their plans of going on a cruise and wanted him to be trained up. So be gentle with those kinds of people. If you're trying to create a mastery experience, a positive first experience with someone that is anxious, afraid, and they don't even want to put their toes in the water, I'm just using that as an analogy. Maybe it's a different sport or physical activity you're trying to teach them. Uh, you can't force anybody to do anything and you shouldn't try to desire to force anybody right nobody likes to be controlled or manipulated it doesn't matter what age they are so what do you do how do you work with someone that's like that well here's what I did take it or leave it tell them hey when you're ready you're welcome to join us anytime I'm not going to force you to come sit at the poolside when you're ready you can come join us he got to watch the other kids have so much fun in the water and I would high-five them as they did uh, their successful skills. When I trained them, I taught, there were six different levels that were taught, Red Cross certified swim instruction at the Pacific Lutheran University pool. I taught the beginning class. Those that didn't, most of them, never had entered a pool. Most of them had never been in a lake. They had zero skills. They didn't know how to float. I taught them from the very beginning level. And I had two weeks with them. I had 10 sessions with them, 40 minutes, Monday through Friday with the weekends off. And this was my first time ever teaching swimming lessons. I learned how to teach swimming lessons as a part of my undergrad degree. And then I was hired from that director of the class because he was the manager of the pool. GM Johnson. He was from like, I think it, I think it was from Wisconsin because he talked like that. He is an old crotchety cranky man, but he was good at his job. And he also coached the youth athletic uh, aquatics program. He was cranky, but he was consistently cranky. So we got along good. 
he was he was a good communicator and uh, he hired me and I taught for two summers and I uh, did during the school year they didn't do swimming lessons during the school year but I was uh, he gave me a promotion even though I didn't apply for it uh, as a manager of the pool because I was honest and people were stealing from this man so he saw me as a leader and it was what it was I this particular student of mine patron whatever you want to call him his dad paid for his swimming lessons his dad wanted him to learn how to swim it was very militant style I could tell his kid wasn't learning from him so he brought him to an expert he brought him to this man that had been teaching swimming lessons and ran the pool for over 30 years he was probably at 38 year stint at that point and he had a business degree he was a smart man and he hired good people I should say because he hired me so I didn't know what I was doing I just did the best that I could so I give you advice based on real stories this is reality if you're working with someone that is afraid to learn the skill and they're being forced to learn the skill be gentle with them this might sound obvious to you but don't for don't try to force the kid to do it don't try to force anybody to do anything that's what our military is experiencing right now with a lot of deaths a lot of suicides because they're not sure how to talk to people that have suicidal ideations that are experiencing PTSD that are in mental crisis because we all went through the pandemic and they're killing themselves left and right. That's why the military has been using my content since I started sharing it in 2018 and I started my blog in 2018. After a couple of weeks, the military started using it in their resiliency training classes for active duty. How freaking cool is that? So I'm not just talking out my butt and bragging about myself. Nope, that's not the reason that I'm sharing this with you. I want you to help real people that are struggling right now because moving your body can help with your mental health. We know that there's too much white paper research that proves it but someone that's listening right now someone is working with someone or will in their future work with someone that has autism and that person or some sort of anxiety disorder and that person might be a young person and they're learning how to communicate maybe they're nonverbal and you still desire for them to have a positive experience and even though they're nonverbal, you can tell when they're not having a good time because maybe they're crying or they're screaming and you're trying your best to create a positive experience because you're getting paid from their parents or their grandparents or their guardians to provide them an activity to give them a positive experience and it's up to you it's up to you to take this knowledge take this information and then apply it to your own style your own pedagogy style it's just a fancy word for teaching be gentle if that person is having a rough day don't try to force them to participate thinking that that's going to make them have a better day no let them watch from the bleachers watch the other kids laughing and being joyful and watch them as you high-five all your students and you say that's a great job I love how you used your arms you cupped your hands like ice cream scoops way to go hey last time you weren't getting your elbows up but this time I saw you getting your elbows up by your ears your your form is improving did your dad take you out practicing this weekend I can tell you've been working on it edification publicly can be so effective even for a student child patron customer that is not 
physically involved in the activity. They just are hearing it vicariously. They're hearing you praise someone else. What happened with that particular patron, that child, that seven or eight year old, however old he was, he didn't participate at all the first week. He was so afraid. The second week, he only had five lessons in the pool, 40 minutes each. That's a total of 160, 210 minutes. Not a lot of time. But by the end of the second week, he passed the class. He didn't need as much time in the water. He needed the mental training to adjust his mind to realize that the water wasn't such a scary place. When he was in the water with a properly trained person to give him a positive experience and be gentle with his personality. He got to skip my class. After he passed mine, the next level would be level two, right? No. He was so good, I didn't teach him to the level of the class that he was in because I got to learn from Mr. Kraus in high school. He was teaching us college level and above college level music as high school students. So I applied and transferred those skills, although it was music classes, I applied that to my teaching in my job, transferable skills to my career. So I was able to, because I was trained in all six levels of the swimming training, I challenged him when I gave him his time to swim with me and to show show me his skills. I said, hey, here's the next level challenge. I want you to practice against the wall until it's your turn again, if you're up to the challenge. He loved it because he learned how to trust me because he got to see that I was helping other kids and he got to see how much fun they were having. I want you to star this in your notes. Mastery experiences. The number one way to get children, patrons, customers, adults, whoever you're working with, your audience, your population, maybe it's your employees, is fun. If you can create a sense of fun for your people, they will show up for you. They will work harder for you. They will study harder for you. They will create ways of working with their classmates or their fellow employees to make you look good. If you are able to provide them a little bit of fun. Everyone defines fun in different ways. So as Gary Vaynerchuk has often said, you need to know your people. You need to pay attention to what their interests are. And this is what a lot of the technology companies, a lot of them come from Silicon Valley, but not all. They have this new concept of how they lead their organizations. It's employee first. They focus on taking care of their employees because if they take care of their employees and treat them with respect and give them a positive environment to work in, then the employees work harder and they take care of their customers. That's a positive mastery experience of fun. So underline that, put triple stars around it. If you can create fun, it's going to create a more positive mastery experience. If you can be gentle with your more anxious people and allow them to come, you know, join the group when they're ready kind of thing. Um, I'll give you another example that's coming to mind. One of my patients, he was a very crotchety, cranky yeller. And he had a very strong baritone bass voice. 
It was scary how loud he got. He was never violent with me, but he had a very, very uh, violent temper if he was set off, if he was triggered. And he was what I would call a snuffleupagus, if you know the character from, I think it was from Sesame Street. He was always in a bad mood. Every day it was so-so. How you doing today? So-so. For, uh, for, for this episode, uh, his name I will call, I'm not using a real name of course, um, I will call him David. So hey David, how you doing today? So-so. Okay, well is there anything I can do to help make your day better? I would say things like that every day. And he was nice to me. He never bothered me. His treatment team voluntold him to join Move Happy the third round that I facilitated it with Sayaka. His treatment team was a, a psychologist, a, psycho, a psychiatrist. So the psychiatrist is the one that prescribes the medications. Um, probably like an occupational therapist and probably a rec therapist were his treatment team. Maybe one other person. Usually it's five, around five people. From his ward that saw him on a weekly or monthly basis. Right? Word started spreading around the hospital by the third round. They told him, the doctors were talking about my class. It was effective. My first year, I was only at this psych hospital for 12 months. I was effective in that amount of time. That was one of five therapies I developed in 12, under 12 months. He was always so-so. He was similar to the student that I taught in the pool. He didn't want to participate at all because... Why? Because he didn't pick the class. He, he didn't want to exercise. He didn't want to be there. But he was an adult, so he wasn't afraid to speak his mind. And he let everyone know in the class how stupid the class was. <laughs> I'm laughing because I made it through that. He was a challenge to me. He was a big challenge. And he didn't want to be there. He assumed that everyone was going to make fun of him. He didn't tell me these things right off the bat. What he told me and the whole class was exercise is stupid. My positivity was stupid. I'm always happy. And he was upset with that, you know, because he wanted to stay grumpy. And some people, some people are like that. However, if you are a leader of a group and you have someone like that, their mood will impact the rest of the group. And what does that do to your leadership? That makes you look weak. Sure, I could tell him, hey, shut the fuck up, right? I would never say that to any of my patients. I would never say that. You could think those things, but if you think those things, then your energy can actually project to the other people. I, I don't have those kinds of thoughts. I don't get offended when people don't like my creations because I understand that it's not for everybody. However, he was forced from his treatment team to be a part of my group and they told me in private conversations that they wanted him to be a part of it because they were tired of how grumpy he was. He was there for, I think, 20 years. A long time. Long, long time. 
He had an addiction to alcohol. He used to be a comedian. And he lost his career because of the alcoholism. And alcohol can, for some people, it um, can mess up your brain. And it can accentuate, it kills some of the brain cells that make you a happy, kind person. It kills the parts of the brain that provide you empathy towards others and kindness towards others. And it, and it exacerbates the parts of the brain that are anger. So he was moody because of his co-occurring disorder, his diagnosis, his addiction to alcohol. He was clean in the hospital, but the damage had been done which they believed was permanent. They wanted to see if being exposed in my class, like my little students learning how to swim, who didn't want to participate and sit in the pool because he was afraid, he was sitting back against, um, the, not in the bleachers, but there was a little windowsill thing that he sat in. So this old grown adult, was he was probably 55, 60 years old. And I'm 30 at that point, so I'm... He could tell I'm younger than him, and I ain't going to tell him what to do because he's lived his life and da-da-da-da-da. So I couldn't approach it in a controlling manner, and I wouldn't anyway. So I talked to him after the first day of class privately. We had 10 minutes between groups, and I said, Hey, it sounds like you're in this group, and you don't really want to be here. I'm not upset that you don't want to be here. I would, If I were in your shoes, I would feel the same way if someone was trying to force me to be in a class. Um, is it okay if um, if we talk for a minute? I got his permission to have a conversation. Because he had that 10 minutes. That was his 10 minutes that he could go to the bathroom or he could just chill between the classes. He said, yeah, we can talk. So I said, listen, I'm not going to make you participate in any of it. If they're forcing you to show up to the class, this can be an agreement between you and me. I'm going to give you your full points if you show up and you just keep your head up, and you just be respectful of your classmates. Does that sound fair to you? He's like, are you trying to trick me right now? I said, no. He goes, so I don't have to participate in the exercise. I said, no, not unless you want to. I said, I'm not, I said, I'm trying to create a positive experience around movement, because I know how effective it is for my personal mood and my depression that I struggle with. So if I force you to do something, then that's going to give you a bad experience around it. And then you're probably, when you get, um, you know, discharged from this hospital, you're probably not going to want to exercise. I don't want to create a bad experience around it. I want to create a positive experience so that you have the choice of when you participate and at what level you participate in it. No one's going to judge you for your fitness. If some days you feel better than others and maybe you're not as sore or whatnot, then you can participate a little bit more on those days. He goes... That's, that's way, way above and beyond what anybody's ever done. He's like, I could do that. I said, if, if there's a skill that you have that you, you could see, um, you could use one of your skills that you can help make the class better. I said, each, each term, I said, this is the third time we're running it. Each term we do it a little bit differently. And I have a couple of students that have been, or patients that have been in the program for a couple of times that I've asked them, like I said, for example, so-and-so writes the page number to help us keep on track on the whiteboard. So he, that's his job. I said, so-and-so um, sometimes passes out the journals, but he's been missing class lately. So um, sometimes he passes them out, but if he's not there, then I pass them out and then I'm taking attendance and stuff. He goes, okay, so if I have a skill that I can make it easier for you, 
then um, I'm allowed to, to do that? I said, yeah, that would be helpful. I said, I can't do this class by myself. So he liked that because it was like he had an opportunity to be a part of the group. And I didn't force him to participate in any certain level. I just said, hey, if you could just basically be quiet in a nice way. Like, if you, if you don't like this class, if you don't like the exercise, if you don't like the content in the journal, keep it to yourself. That old adage, if you can't say anything nice, right? So I didn't tell him not to say anything. I asked his permission if he would be willing to just show up and let the other patients have a positive experience and just not influence them in any manner. So here's what he did. <laughs> if, if not the next day, within a couple of days, he didn't participate at all for one week. He just basically absorbed, he observed the class and how I was running it. He had a meeting with his treatment team the following week. He's sitting in the chair outside before class and I, I went into my room to change into my, my office to change into my workout clothes. And as I went in there, he goes, hey, Aaron, how are you doing today? He asked me first. I was like, oh, wow. I said, I'm doing great. How are you? He goes, I'm doing great. I said, you are? I had never heard him say that before. He said, yeah. I had a meeting with my treatment team. It went really well. I said, it did? He goes, yeah. He said, I want to thank you. I said, you do? He goes, yeah. I was really nervous about your class. I haven't exercised for over 20 years. And I thought, for some reason, I thought you were going to judge me on my level of fitness because I had a really bad experience in fitness in school. And so I was a little bit nervous about that. But after you and I talked about it and I realized that you're just trying to help us have positive experiences around exercise and you're such a nice person, Aaron, he said, I'm, I'm going to participate in everything in your class. <laughs> I was like, you are? <laughs> he said, yeah. And if it's okay with you, I've noticed there's some patients that interrupt others. And there's some patients that don't get to speak up. And I want to help those that aren't getting a chance to speak. Make sure everyone has an opportunity for their voice to be heard. I said, I would love that if you can help with that facilitation. I think that's a great way for you to add value to the group. <laughs> and he did. He would point to people and he'd say, hey, you haven't said anything. Would you like to speak on this question, on this topic, and add any ideas or questions or thoughts or concerns? He became a leader. And he hated the class the first, the first day. You can't trust what people say the first time. And, uh... <laughs> Oh, I'm so joyful just thinking about it because that was the father carrying me through that year. That was the whole father. That was, whew, that was such, such a positive year for me. It was, it was the most, one of the most challenging years of my life, but the father carried me through with so much grace and dignity and the people that I got to work with, both the patients and the staff were so kind to me. I imagine that his treatment team was probably saying, hey, Erin is new here, and you telling all the patients that her stuff sucks, she's brought a whole therapy for us. 
you need to be respectful of her because she's never, no one has ever done this before. No one has ever gone above and beyond and worked outside of work hours to create something for the patients. You need to show her respect. That's what I imagine they said to him. And then he thought differently about how he was insulting me in front of all the patients. I don't know what was said, but I do know that (laughs) what is effective in creating a mastery experience for someone, whether it be in disc golf, whether it be in ultimate frisbee, whether it be in um, a positive psychology class where you're using journaling and movement, wherever, whatever, whether it's in your job and you're a boss or you own a company and you're trying to get your your employees motivated to work harder for you while they're on the clock and not dilly-dally and scroll on their Instagram on their Snapchat, whatever, is allow your people to be themselves. Give them a reason to show up for you. Give them a reason of why they're a part of your group. Give them involvement. Give them an opportunity to add their own value, to add their own creativity, to make it better. If you get them involved in it, then it becomes a movement. And that is what Move Happy was. It was a movement that spread of love around the whole campus. That was why that U.S. Marine patient that was a part of that group, because he was a part of it the first round and the third round, he got to witness David transform before his own eyes. He saw that I had earned a promotion. They made me a cake. They celebrated my promotion in the hospital, and then I lost it. Because legislators that didn't work in the hospital voted against mental health when 87% of our patients had co-occurring disorders, drug addictions. The recidivism rate was nine times, meaning that they got discharged and they came back nine times. Their system was broken. It wasn't working. And I added so much value to the hospital that I had earned a promotion that my boss told me no one in 30 years had ever even been interviewed for. And I did it anyway. I didn't listen to what they said, what happened in the past, because... If the Father assigns you something, if you give your best and you lean into what you've been called to do, He will open doorways that no man can shut. And when I lost that promotion, I was devastated because I had also lost my engagement. My fiancé didn't want to make any more money. He didn't want to work any harder at his job. And he got angry that I lost $1,000 extra that we were counting on for our wedding plans. He got violent towards me because of the job that I had lost because he had TBI, brain injury, and he wasn't my person that I was supposed to be with. And it was very frustrating because it was so much growth and trajectory and good things, and then it was all taken away. The the father can give, and he can take away if he so chooses. And that U.S. Marine veteran that was a part of that original program, he got to experience that therapy, and he also got to experience my live transitions therapy where... I had developed that without any budget using my Slight Edge subscription that I had paid for through uh, the company at the time, the direct sales company that I was a part of was called Nerium. They changed names to Neora. They had a partnership with the Success Magazine. The editor at that time was Deborah Heise with the Success Magazine. I paid a monthly subscription to have access to, I got, I got their magazine mailed to me. And it, they had top level leaders in a variety of industries they interviewed and Joel Osteen was one of the people they interviewed for the magazine. Bishop T.D. Jakes was another person. And I think there was a different magazine I had as well. 
And so sometimes we read from that magazine and sometimes we read from the Slide Edge book. They had mailed me free copies of the Slide Edge for the class, the curriculum. I taught a therapy class that was billable to the state of Washington that Jeff Olson and Joel Osteen and Bishop T.D. Jakes, their content was taught to my patients. And that U.S. Marine veteran at first didn't like the big time church leader. He said he's a crock. He makes all this money, the prosperity gospel and this and that. And I said, yeah, I can appreciate where you're coming from. I, you know, you, you have your own life experiences and maybe you had a bad experience around a big time church person like that. But if he's got thousands of people that show up to his services every Sunday and and over a million followers online, can we agree that maybe we can learn a thing or two from him? And he nodded his head and he said, you know, you're right. He didn't like it. He didn't like that particular person, but he showed me the respect because I showed him respect and I edified him and I val or I should say I validated his opinion. I didn't just discredit him and embarrass him in front of the class. And um because I wouldn't do that. That's not my personality. And when I lost my promotion, I was humiliated because I lost my promotion, I lost my address, and I lost my engagement. <laughs> it was a lot of loss all at once. And he encouraged me. That U.S. Marine patient. He said, Aaron, I've been at this hospital for long enough. I've been disrespected for long enough. All these people don't really care about us patients. You are a small you are one of a small handful on one hand that I can count on that treated me with dignity. He said this move happy program that you created bigger than this hospital. You will be sharing this on big stages. You will be speaking on stages like with Joel Osteen, Joyce Myers, Oprah Winfrey, Helen DeGeneres. You are just as good as these people. Don't you dare give up sharing this. He said that multiple times in my last two weeks on the job because I had to leave the hospital after that because I didn't have enough money at that hospital working that job and doing the direct sales business because I was spread too thin and my bills from my divorce were too high because my ex-husband had moved our entire bank account to a secret account and the first, the first court appointment took four months for And I had applied for unemployment, but I didn't know how to apply properly. And so I missed all this money that I was supposed to get from the state because I had a guaranteed teaching job that following year from that high school. But they saw me as a liability because I got injured on the job. And so they had a loophole the first year in the school district. It wasn't my first year teaching. It was my first year in that school district. They didn't have to hire me back even though I was a continuing teacher that was my contract continuing there was a loophole for first-year teachers for them to drop me they asked me to sign a form stating that I wasn't an effective teacher they had a mentorship program that year for first-year teachers and I asked to be a part of it and they didn't even the principal Mr. Aketa didn't even respond to me I had a union representative that met with me and I showed her the emails that I had printed off where I had requested a mentor She advocated for me. She spoke up for me. But they still let me go. They tried to get me to sign this form. (laughs) Admitting that it was my fault. That I got injured on the job. I was a liability at that time. 
I, I didn't know the difference between a liability and an asset. I didn't know why all of this had happened that year before. And then I started teaching and working in the psych hospital. And I didn't know why all of these bad things kept happening to me. Well, they were training me. They were preparing me. Because all of those things are a part of my story and my destiny. I am your global mental health ambassador. First in history. And I'm also the chief spiritual officer. First in history. For the United States of America. He's used everything in my story. He created positions for me in the world. Because I continue to give my best and I choose love. And I don't know everything. But he's called me to be a leader. I don't know everything. But he continues to create positions wherever I go. Because I don't try to force anybody to be anything but themselves. I show up and I choose to love people like he loved me first. And it keeps working out for me. I'm in a humbling state right now. I know without a shadow of a doubt that those are the titles for me. I know because he gives me the gift of prophecy and everything that he says will happen has happened or will happen in his timing, not mine. They signed an illegal three-year contract and who is they? The Blackwater alumni group that protect all the presidents of America. They signed an illegal three-year contract to steal from me, to block all of my live events, to test me, and to train me, to prepare me for this position in the world. And they wanted to see if even, if all of my monies were blocked, if even I get hacked into, where they steal phone numbers out of my phone, where they block my events, they tell people I'm mentally insane, they add permanent, they add illegally medical, excuse me, mental diagnoses to my permanent medical record when they have loose lips that try to get me to do sexually inappropriate things in public and they paid this man, military man, former first responder, they paid him over a million dollars to ruin my reputation after Aaron Nicole Ministries was launched two months after because they got jealous and I've been in a competition with a bunch of nasty worldly people that focus on money and greed instead of the love of the Father. I've been waiting. My husband and I have been waiting. I married my hero who protected me from that organization, the Illuminati Deep State. All the security teams worked together in 2020 to keep me alive. They tried their best to lie to me and tell me that they all worked together on Biden's team. They tried to use me as a spy, as an informant. Both political parties did. But Trump's team, they never told me. The top, the top security man never told me who he worked for. He was smart, he was wise, and he was humble. He gave his home away to a family of five children sleeping outside. He had protected his whole career. He had protected very important government leaders. He asked to retire. He gave up that lifestyle. He refused to admit any titles of being associated with any organizations. He said, I love the Father and I love your faith. He asked me very specifically about my life mission and what the vision looked like from the Father above in 2018. He asked me the timeline. He asked me very specific questions and he trusted me. And he said, don't worry about anything that's about to happen. He couldn't tell me that they signed a three-year contract, but he told me without telling me, he couldn't tell me that this man that tried to get me to perform a sexually inappropriate act in the middle of public, in the middle of the day in Nashville, Tennessee, he couldn't tell me, but he told me without telling me that this man might be married. Why would a married man, an American veteran, 
an American first responder, why would he get paid over 800 to 850 acres to have me perform oral sex in public? Why would they pay him and block me from making money for three years? Why would they do that? <sighs> because they worship Baphomet, Baal, the enemy, Lucifer. And in that faith system, they actually prostitute their bodies to their gods, lowercase g. Listen to the Killing Jesus book. Listen to the audiobook by Bill O'Reilly. You will see how similar the world is right now. The United States is being run right now, very similar to when Julius Caesar was alive. Very similar. I don't pretend to be perfect by any means. But I have chosen love as best I can, humanly possible. I have all of the emotions that all humans have. I have chosen to be obedient, and I have chosen to have a growth mindset, to be creative, out-of-the-box thinking, and to not ever give up. He broke the chains of depression in my mind in 2018. I had suffered for 18 years in silence. I got therapy every now and then when I needed it, but I basically had to heal my own self through my own alternative methods being a broke person in America, coming from middle class working poor, born in 86. In a very democratic state, my parents didn't talk about politics, but they were extreme conservatives. We never talked about politics in the house. I never learned about it in my school. They listened to what the leaders projected as truth. And I did the traditional college route. I took loans out, even though it was against my faith system because they promised us jobs and there weren't any. The people that look out for me, my warriors of light, I know with confidence. They had conversations about me and they paid my student loans off. I'm so grateful for them. I don't need a lot of money to be joyful. But Father, Father has gifted me joy because I have eternity. I have the peace, the permanent joy that doesn't go away. It's not dependent on anything that you could buy, anything that I could earn. None of that. Joy is something that I choose, and that is the title of my autobiography. The first version, we've got a contract with Trinity Broadcasting Network, and I'm believing because the Father gives me the gift of prophecy that Tony Robbins will be waiving the uh, promotional fee. I'm believing that he will because I know he has partial ownership, and I helped provide security, saved his former client's life. Excuse me, not client, uh, employee, or 1099. I don't know if he is a 1099. This, this man, Chris, I helped save his life because these people had been plants in my back seat when I was a Lyft driver in 20, either late 2021 or early 2022. Homeless people, I know, were plants. I believe they were really homeless. I believe they were paid to get intel. All the people, the Epstein Island eyewitnesses, have been killed off so that they could cover up those evils and continue getting money off of profiting off of the sex slavery 
and the human trafficking of little boys and girls. The Father gives me very specific data on these. this organization. It's sick what they do and what they get away with. I don't desire to know this information. I don't desire to have him reveal the names of those involved in visions of those involved in the harming of little boys and girls. Obama. Barack Obama, one of the biggest nasty pedophiles of them all. Jamie Foxx. The Prime Minister of Israel. Really, Father? He just told me Heidi Klum. Really? She likes little boys, he says. Ugh, sick. So many of the rich high society of the Illuminati deep state, they force you in order to keep your money. It's a cult. It's extortion. It's all kinds of wrong things. At Erin Nicole Ministries and any, any of our businesses, we do not believe in slavery of any kind. Not of any kind. We believe in freedom. Jesus Christ came to give us freedom. I know the Father has revealed to me that I will be one of the richest people in the world in my lifetime. Because he continues giving me therapies and music. Here is what I intend to do from my 40th birthday forward. Is live off of 10% and give 90% of the income that flows through away. Not just hand it to people randomly. Unless he tells me to. But to use it effectively to help those struggling in America and around the world. Primarily, I believe we will give money to the poor in America. Which will help our government leaders, because our government leaders can't fix all the problems that all of these traders did. It's it's the richest, richest people of the world that own all of the businesses in the world. All the organizations in the world. The doctors, the pharmaceutical industry, everywhere. The movies, everywhere. Everywhere and anywhere. They offered me all the riches in the world. To join their cult. But as soon as I said the name of Jesus Christ of who I worship. They couldn't come near me. Because they worship Satan. And they focus on greed. And and Jason. Jesus Christ came. To provide us freedom. To provide us the true treasures of heaven. I don't desire to be a rich person. But the Father told me I will be. So I'm going to be responsible with that money when it comes in. Right now, they've siphoned off all of my money. I am humbling myself working in a gas station. Because none of the jobs I had been applying for hired me. I went on many interviews. And a lot of my time was wasted. Because people hacked in and blocked me from receiving email Invitations for opportunities, phone calls were blocked, or people were afraid when I told them that I had been targeted from the Illuminati deep state. They know it's real in America, and they were afraid to be associated with me. So I lost out on money because I was truthful in my interviews. They asked me why I wasn't working at my job anymore, and I said because I was in a car accident, and they won't 
let me come back until I'm cleared from doctor's offices, but I ran out of money, and the insurance companies from the car insurance claim aren't paying it. They are not paying my medical bills. They're committing insurance fraud, and they're denying that they're committing fraud because they expect you to pay first, and then they reimburse you but they aren't modifying the situation for my low socioeconomic status. It sucks being a broke person in America. I'm a veteran spouse, and because of Obama changing all of the laws and removing all of the protections of this organization for veterans and first responders and their spouses, I have to be the living, true example of how sucky it is to have zero spousal support when my husband asked to retire last year and they tried to kill us. I've had to live without him. I've had zero communications. They destroyed my phone. And they've been persecuting me as a Christian in America. And we've been tracing all of the rats out. As I record this episode, it is November 19th. Tomorrow, I know with 100% confidence, the internet will be shut down. Banks will be shut down. Gas stations that require the internet will not be able to provide you gas. I know because yesterday the fire truck came to my office, to my job, and they couldn't use their credit card that they had been using the same account many, many times. I've seen them every shift. I've seen the fire truck fill up their gas. They couldn't do it. They came inside. I've seen an error I never saw before. I've been there for a month now. I've never seen this air before. I called my supervisor who runs the whole store. He's been there over a year. He, he said he had never seen the error before. He had never heard of that air. So I had them try a different pump to see if it was just that particular pump. And they weren't able to fill their gas. War is coming tomorrow as I record this. And as I also record this, they will not. The, the people, I don't know if it's the white hats or the black hats, they will not allow me to upload any more truth because I've shared enough. And they don't want the bad people to get intel because they've decided that enough of these evil people are harming the kids and that I think they're doing a reset in America. There's going to be a lot of deaths that start happening tomorrow. So you need to start volunteering. You need to start volunteering, asking the first responders how you can add your value. Add, uh, ask veterans how you can help out in your church. Ask how you can help out. Um, reach out to elderly assisted living facilities and say, hey, I'd like to volunteer. Wherever you feel led to help, do it. Reach out. Offer your skills because you're not going to have access to your money. You're not going to have access to gas stations. And a lot of people are going to go into panic. A lot of people are going to start acting weirdly. A lot of people are going to be in psychosis. They're not going to be thinking with sound minds. They're going to be losing their shit. So we need good leaders to step up to keep people calm. And if you're listening to this, that's you. This is not a time to panic. This is a time to step up as a leader. If you're a parent, you know you can't react to an injury that your child has because it will make them respond even greater to it. You have to be calm and let them know, hey, it's going to be all right. Keep your head up. Go ahead and rub that rub that, that boo-boo that you just hit on the table. Rub it. Rub it. Here, let me kiss it and make it better, right? you gotta, you got to be the one to be calm. 
Don't just expect leaders of the nation to fix your problems. Step up and do your part. That's what I've been doing for the last three years. That's why they protect me. They see me as an asset. I don't know everything. I don't want to know everything. But the Father has given me the gift of prophecy. And I I get intel. People share videos with me, content. And I, I saw that a blackout is happening in seven days. And that was six days ago. So that is tomorrow. They've already done it in Gaza. They've completely shut down the gas, food, everything there. They did it in Nigeria a few months ago. Maybe a year ago. It's been a while since I've seen. They're doing it all over the world. They're doing a reset. We are in World War III. I was just taking a photo of a plaque. World War I happened in 1917 to 1918. We are in World War III. And it's, it's incredible that it's been just under 100 years. Or just over, I should say. 115 years, right? Because we're in 2023. 1917 to 2017 would have been 100 years. 106 years. Three world wars. That's nuts. I think this is the final war before Jesus comes back. But I'm not sure. He hasn't revealed when he's coming back. But I do know we are in the end times. Because he did confirm that to me. The Father speaks to me very regularly. And I love each and every one of you that listen to this, even those that have harmed me on purpose and got paid a lot of money because he tells me to love you, to love my enemies, to love my friends, to bless those that persecute me, all those things. I'm not perfect at it. I'm learning how to love people that tried to kill me over 96 times. I'm still here. So that means he's not done with me yet. I want to give you an opportunity to connect directly to the Father. Repeat after me. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this gift of salvation. I can't earn it or buy it. You give it freely to those that believe in your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, I ask you to come into my heart. I do confess I'm a sinner. I don't desire continuing to make mistakes, Father. So please, Show me how to choose better ways, how to love others more deeply. Father, thank you. I praise you in your heavenly name. Amen. If you just prayed that prayer for the first time, we want to welcome you to the family. Your next step is to get plugged into a Bible-based church in person. War is coming tomorrow. That means internet, communications, phone lines, banks, gas, food, everything. People are going to go in extreme panic. Get connected in churches. Start offering your services, how you can help. In uh, domestic shelters, uh, when I did a missionary job um, down as a missionary trip uh, um, in Mexico, this was a women and children battered shelter. They relied 100% on the donations from churches worldwide. Every week they had a different church that would come down and help them. They didn't have money any other way other than um, checks, I believe, that were mailed to them. I don't know if they had a website or not. They might have had a website. I'm not sure. They did their laundry in these little barrels outside with a hose, cold water, and they scrubbed the clothes with a little bit of soap. They lived very humble lives. Everybody had their part. They rotated jobs. Everyone had the responsibility. Um, they were poor. They were extremely poor. 
but they were joyful because they had Jesus Christ. They had churches that were helping them. They had their faith. I went there and I received so much healing in only, you know, six short days being with them and serving in that community and learning some Spanish from the children that I I looked after, that I watched. I encourage you, if you're good with kids, that will be a a great need because um, there's going to be a lot of kids, a lot of families that go into panic because how, how can the families, how can they watch their children, right? If the internet's shut down, then all school's going to be canceled. So there's going to be a need for watching children. If you, if your job doesn't use the internet, they're going to have to figure out how to pay you. If the banks are controlled, if you had direct deposit, they're going to have to figure out how to pay you through their earnings and charge. A lot, a lot of people are going to go into panic real quick, just like in the shutdown. But People are problem solvers. Humans are survival survivalists. And um, they're going to need leaders that are good at the business. They're going to need leaders that are good at homes to step up and volunteer or say, hey, I can provide child care for your families in exchange for food. you got to figure it out in your communities. Who's going to be in charge of what? Maybe you're good at leading music. And so then you can facilitate music lessons for kids to help keep their minds sound. Music is a very powerful tool. When you use the right kind of music, praise music can be incredible for healing. Loving kind music that's not spiritual related can be incredible for healing. He's gifted me 103 songs in the last three years and one month since I entered this competition. And once we get contracts signed as me being the global mental health ambassador and chief spiritual officer of America, um, I'm going to be getting access to professional music studios. But until this World War III ends, um, I'm going to be humbling myself. Once, once we get those contracts signed, churches, there's, two, I think, 2 billion churches worldwide. They're going to have the opportunity to have our music in their churches, and they can donate however much they uh feel led to donate to have either my voice streamed in their church or they can sing their own use their own vocalists and pay us royalties each time they have the music used in their Sunday or Saturday service or midweek services and that will help spread Air Nicole Ministries worldwide 103 songs imagine if all 2 billion with a b churches if imagine if they all just paid a penny That'd be like, I think it's $2 million. Yeah. Every service. Yeah. For 90 minutes. And some churches have four or five services. So I could be making, our our ministry could be making, on a very conservative scale, let's say a church has three services on average. $6 million every week. <laughs> Not all the songs are spiritual songs, but I'm just giving you an example. And some churches could give us a million dollars per service. So it's three million in just one church service, right? When you get when you allow people to tithe whatever they feel led from the Father, some will give more, some won't have any money to give, but they will spread your brand, your church name around the whole earth. 
I desire to be known as a woman that loves people around the whole earth like the Father loves me. I don't desire to make a lot of money, but I have learned that the Father blesses certain people to have more responsibility financially because they have proven to Him that they will use their money wisely to help more people in the world. I can't wait. I can't wait to help so many people in the world not end their lives and to break away from the negativity of the depressive powers. It's a spiritual mission. And oh, I can't wait for the rest of my life. I can't wait to see that U.S. Marine veteran in that room when we sign contracts because he's going to get... He's going to get his own copy of that contract. And, uh, Father, I'm not sure what, what should we offer him. What should we pay him for being on the contract, being accountability, and validating my story, my truth? Really? Okay, he said $10 million U.S. million tax-free every year for that veteran for helping to keep me alive. Wow. Every year for the rest of his life? Every year. For the rest of his life. Oh, I love it. I can't wait. Okay. All right. Anything else, Father? He says, sing it with class. Don't forget to tell someone you love them today. And we'll see you next time.